Hi, I'm Eddie and this is Open Source Futures where I look at present developments through the lens of long-term trends. I'll get into the whole long-term trends thing in a future episode, uh, but for now I wanted to get into something I raised the last time. So last week I was discussing bits of the Singapore Budget 2021 and I was describing the things I was looking out for and I mentioned how this budget seemed to be setting the stage for Singapore's eventual decarbonisation. So broadly speaking, decarbonisation is a long, slow and complex process, but I see this as a long-term trend because uh, a lot of the world, a lot, especially the advanced world, is deciding to take on climate change as a serious uh, issue, and there are a lot of developments on this. So different countries are going to talk about it differently, and they're going to do, the, do this decarbonisation differently, but broadly speaking, there are a few main pillars, so-called pillars of decarbonisation. So decarbonization uh, has a few areas. So the first is usually electricity generation, uh, about how carbon intensive that process is going to be. For example, what kind of fuels your electricity plants are burning. The second is with transportation. So how are your vehicles powered? Uh, the third area is with heavy industries. So some of these heavy industries are carbon intensive because they need a lot of uh, heat and energy. And sometimes they use uh, things that uh, emit carbon. And uh, the fourth area, which I think is not covered enough, is about plastics and pharmaceuticals. So a lot of the present plastics and pharmaceutical feedstocks are actually derived from fossil fuels, and so we have to figure out a way to replace them. And then I also get into a bit about implications for Singapore, so uh, how we are renewable energy disadvantage and all of that, which I'll get into that. Okay, but meantime, um, the first area is with decarbonizing electricity generation. So in a lot of the advanced countries, your solar and wind energy is now below, uh, the price of those are below that of fossil fuels. So converting to those makes economic sense, not just an environmental basis. Uh, there are, I guess for oil producing countries or natural gas producing countries, they might have to take a longer time to decarbonize because it's not just that their economy and society is based on uh, fossil fuels, but uh, you need to make a lot of investments in economic diversification so that uh, when you have to, when the world eventually moves on and decarbonize, there will be less uh, pain involved. But all of this is another topic for another time. So yes, of course, uh, when, it, when it comes to decarbonization and talking about the adoption of solar and wind, the two issues are their intermittency, seasonality. Uh, so those are being addressed through energy storage solutions. So it's either through batteries or uh, various schemes to, uh, for example, pump hydroelectricity. So pumping water to a, a reservoir that's at a tall enough place. And then uh, when you need that energy, uh, when the sun isn't shining, the wind isn't blowing, then you release the water and that water kinetic energy generates your electricity. There are other schemes as well. So of course you have uh, gigantic batteries, uh, which are part of the solution, and uh, you have things like moving concrete blocks up a hill, um, those kind of stuff. So um, energy storage is something that people are working on, and uh, hopefully there will be more uh, concrete developments to come. Okay, the second issue with decarbonization is with transportation. So right now, uh, you can see with Tesla, with electric vehicles and all of that. So that's well on the way, at least on the consumer side. On the commercial side, things are a little bit more uh, difficult because you really need the high energy densities of fossil fuels. So things like 
uh, trucks, ships, uh, aircraft. So these things will need more improvements in uh, batteries, for instance. You need improvements in batteries. And when it comes to things like aircraft, uh, I think you will need something like either a hydrogen fuel cell or you need some other way to derive your fossil fuels. So for instance, I'm thinking about um, bacteria-derived uh, kerosene. Uh, um, so these are options, um, but they, they need industrial scaling up and further research to make them more efficient so that they can be on par with uh, current industrial processes. So uh, we're not going to have electric planes yet. I don't think that's physically viable uh, with batteries, but I think maybe with hydrogen, uh, yeah, uh, it might be possible, but all of these will need a lot of retrofitting, a lot of modification. Uh, you need, for instance, new turbines to uh, run on hydrogen instead of methane and there are, or kerosene, and there are uh, various uh, technical obstacles along the way. Okay, so when it comes to industries, so steel making needs high temperatures, uh, and uh, that's where hydrogen comes in. You burn hydrogen to generate the heat, and also helps with the reduction of iron, so that uh, so that's a helpful process. And I think the same is with cement. The problem with cement is that the process inherently produces carbon dioxide, so you need carbon capture for that. And, and that's where, again, uh, it's important to note why the social cost of carbon is important, because you need, to put, uh, you need to put a price on carbon so that it's profitable for people to take away the carbon for you and store it. So that's why it's important to have carbon taxes at a high enough rate that there's enough incentive to do that. Um, so, Again, with uh, plastics and pharmaceuticals right now, although 5% of fossil fuels are used for chemicals or for plastics, but I think as the electricity sector decarbonizes, as industries decarbonizes, I think that will become more and more important. And that's why I think we'll either need a biological way to produce the feedstock for your plastics and your pharmaceuticals, or we might move into directly using bacteria to produce the plastics that we want. Which of those ways, again, will depend on the R&D processes and uh, the ability to scale things up. So again, we need companies and governments around the world to continue to invest in this basic R&D so that we can get to this uh, truly, truly decarbonized society and decarbonized world. Um, so it's a lot of technical things still required and this is a very long process. Again, it might take uh, just another 10 years to figure out what to what the processes are and maybe another 10, 20 years for the whole industry to uh, to be converted to the different kind of technical paradigm. So uh, the way I like to think of it is we're moving from a, a thermodynamic paradigm to a biological paradigm for some of these manufacturing processes. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, so where is Singapore in all this? So as I mentioned before, Singapore is renewable energy disadvantaged. We don't have enough land for solar and wind, and here in the tropics, the winds are not blowing fast enough. So you either need, uh, you need wind turbines that are more efficient at low wind speeds, but anyway, just by the sheer physics of it, you're not going to get as much as you would, in, for, for instance, in say the, the, the countries in the higher latitudes. So uh, I think we are, we are stuck for instance, for using methane uh, to for our electricity generation for a longer time, until we get maybe to hydrogen burning, uh, but 
Then again, it assumes that the hydrogen is produced uh, using an environmentally sustainable way, because right now hydrogen is used uh, is derived mainly from uh, for using methane, so uh, that's not a helpful way. Um, so we really need to figure out how to get green hydrogen uh, from uh, using energy sources from the renewable sources. Sorry, yeah. So that's that's where we're at in terms of energy. So once we can get the electricity system decarbonized, then we can talk about the electric vehicles, and then we can maybe talk about the hydrogen fuel cells for your commercial vehicles and your planes. Um, and then we need, um, because we're a small player in all of these areas, so we have to wait for companies to have their manufacturing process sorted out, you know, so they can have new plants based in Singapore that will be either hydrogen-based or using the feedstock from biological sources. So that's how I think it's going to all go down. But this is, I, this is, I don't know, a 20, 30 year horizon. So and it really waits, requires waiting for the companies and uh, the big governments out there to get their research work done to scale this, to scale all these things up to the industrial level. Okay, so what does that mean for you? Uh, so for us, I guess. That's where, as mentioned, the carbon taxes might go up steeply after the 2020-something review. I think that is dependent on getting the, our, our infrastructure ready for electric vehicles, and then maybe uh, we might get the, uh, the carbon prices up higher with higher duties, for instance. Um, um, I guess in the lifetime, in some of our professional lifetimes, especially if you're someone uh, in the 20s and 30s, we might see this happening in our lifetime, that the whole technical paradigm will change, um, but there's still a long way to go, and meanwhile, I guess, I guess uh, there'll still be fossil fuels around to explore, but just be aware that this is going to be slowly a diminishing business, um, because as ESG requirements roll in, so that's environmental, social, and governance kinds of considerations, as banks take into account carbon footprints, as investment companies take into account carbon footprints, um, they might not, not like fossil fuel companies as they were before. So you see, I think I've talked about this the last time as well, how some of these major energy companies are also thinking about, uh, thinking about renewable energy uh, as part of their corporate portfolio. So all of these things are happening. And so uh, don't be surprised if uh, things do change in our lifetime. So if you're a chemical engineer starting out, be aware that this might be happening in your professional lifetime. Uh, so keep an open mind and uh, just continue reading about all of these other things that I mentioned about. So the, the biological basis, uh, thinking about reactor reactor vets. So you can imagine big reactor vets, you know, producing a kerosene instead of having them in barrels. Um, so these, these will be the things I'm thinking about and I'll continue to look out for as a lot of these developments are happening. Okay, the other aspect to this is that there's also pretty much a geopolitical lens as well. So you have uh, not just the China-US relationship to think about in terms of uh, all the geopolitical dominance thing. That's definitely one important thing to look at, which I will also want to dig into in the future. Um, but it's not a simple US-China sort of thing. There's Europe as well, that's also a way ahead in this decarbonization discussion. There's also uh, the UK, which is also doing well in decarbonizing its electricity sector. 
and Japan. Japan is looking to hydrogen as a way to diversify its energy sources. So, uh, and you have, you've got you've got your big players like Toyota, Mitsubishi going to the hydrogen economy, and Japan does have uh, a blueprint or kind of strategy for hydrogen uh, in their economy and society. So, uh, Japan is trying to do that. Um, so there's a very messy, complicated uh, economic race as well, um, and that's also going to be a factor to uh, how we get the whole world to decarbonize as a whole. So you can see also countries also competing against each other when it comes to decarbonization technologies and companies, and they also want to have to help their own companies to have their leg up in this. So. I wouldn't be surprised if there would be trade spats for some weird reason between EU and Japan or the US, even though they're supposedly on, on, on the same side in air quotes and uh, trying to defend also their economies from being dominated by China. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a really messy thing and there'll be a lot of uh, dancing around, uh, trying to, a lot of maneuvering around, trying to see uh, which companies and countries can go on top, can be on top of uh, this whole decarbonization race. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So again, if you, if, you, um, if you were tuning out at the moment or at, at, uh, previously in this conversation, so I just want to uh, help you summarize this. So I mentioned that there are four main aspects of the decarbonization process to think about, and those are decarbonizing electricity generation, decarbonizing the vehicle sector and transportation, uh, decarbonizing the uh, heavy industries, your steel and cement making, and four will be decarbonizing the, the plastics and pharmaceuticals. So, uh, if you haven't, if you were tuning out now, yeah, you can just roll back to the past thirty seconds. Uh, the four pillars that I talked about, and also how all of these will have a geopolitical lens. Okay, so uh, that's it for this uh, second episode, and I hope to be review again back soon. So if you enjoyed this, if you want to help me to improve and help me to contribute, you can always go to uh, patreon.com slash open source futures. That's open source futures, one word. Or you can uh, buy me a coffee. So that's buy me a coffee, one word, slash uh, op source futures. op source futures. Yep. So thanks a lot and I'll see you next time.